Well, have you ever been homesick? Maybe as a kid you went to summer camp and that first night you're just like, I'm not sure being away from mom or dad. Maybe at your grandparents' house and you just kind of halfway through the night woke up and wanted to be back home. Or maybe you're feeling homesick right now. You're one of our military people and you like keep getting stationed far away from home, military base to military base. And you, you really feel that homesickness. For me, being from Tennessee originally, every time I go backpacking and I'm in the mountains, there's a part of me that just feels a little homesickness. I just, I'm hiking and I start thinking, Rocky Top, you'll always be homesick. So anyway, that's cheesy. But there's a homesickness that's pretty common to all of us. But as we study First Peter, we find that the people that Peter's writing to are not just deployed in the military. They're not just at summer camp for a week or at their grandma's house. No, Peter calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. They are scattered because of persecution and struggle in the lands, and they're feeling that exileness. Now, we've entitled the series Chosen Exiles because there is a tension in 1 Peter that we have to consider as believers. We who are followers of Christ are chosen in him, but we are also living lives as pilgrims and exiles in this world, a world with hardship and persecution and deception and seduction and marginalization. Hardship and suffering often move us in our lives, in our hearts to start asking questions, right? Does, does God know what I'm going through right now? Does he care? Does he care about me? Does he care about what happened in my past? Does he care about what will happen in my future? Does he care about my present right now? Those are often questions. They're not uncommon questions. As Peter gets into the body of the letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, he wants to take those who have been walking in the valley of the shadow of death to the highest peaks of God's glory. And that is what those elect exiles need to see, and that's the view that we need to see today. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. This is God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. May the Lord bless the preaching and reading of his word. We're just going to cover these few verses today. Verse 3 begins an opening acknowledgement of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw last week, Samuel taught us the Trinitarian focus of the first two verses, the opening of the letter. The recipients of the letter are elect exiles by the foreknowledge of the Father, set apartness of the Spirit and the obedience to Christ that is enabled by Christ. And when you realize you have been elect, that you're cared for by the Father, set apart by the Spirit, enabled to obey by the Son, there's an overflow. And that overflow of understanding God's work in your heart is praise. And that's where Peter goes. Homesick people 
need to know the comforts and the grounding of the truth. Peter starts them with praise in verse 3, but then those comforts of knowing that God has been with them, he, he wants to point them to the past and the future and the present, how God is working in their lives and has been working. So point number one is God's work in the past. God's work in the past on behalf of his people. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. God is praised, and we now see one of the reasons why, because it's according to his great mercy. Now, what is mercy? We've got to know what mercy is to really understand how to praise here. Mercy is not getting the punishment that we deserve. You see, humanity has stood in opposition to God. We've been born into sin, and we have chosen sin. And Peter knows this well. Samuel mentioned some of the different uh, biographical sketch of Peter last week. Peter was the guy who rebuked Jesus. Jesus told, as Jesus was saying, he was going to the cross. Peter later, in defense of Jesus, pulls out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus puts it back on. Like he's the only guy we see in the Bible cutting off ears. He says, Peter, put away your sword. Minutes later, Peter denied Jesus, even getting so frightened that a little servant girl asked him who he is. And he's like, ah, and denies Jesus. Peter had a bad day that day. Peter's well acquainted with the need for mercy, and we should be as well. Peter wants us to understand something about the great mercy of Jesus. According to that mercy, God has caused us to be born again. Mercy is not something earned. It is a gift of removing punishment that we deserve. Being born is not something any of us do to ourselves. We are simply having forces from the outside acting upon us. Over the next several months, our church will experience a lot of first births. I think there are like seven ladies pregnant in our little church. Maybe more. Fruitful and multiplying. Good job, guys. We all know that we did not choose our first birth. And Peter emphasizes that you did not choose your second birth. It is a caused birth. It is caused by God. It is undeserved. It is only by God's sovereign mercy and grace. Friends, is that how you view God's work in your life? You are chosen, you are elect, you are predestined, you are bought with a price. It is not your superior intellect or your academic success or your athletic skills or your stunning good looks or your magnetic personality that draws God's gaze to you. You may have those things. You guys look good. But that's not what draws God's gaze to you. You and I deserve the just wrath of God. You and I deserve eternal hell. So why would he cause us to be born again? What does Peter say? It's mercy. He chooses this. It's, it's his divine mercy that God chooses. And when we start understanding that, we simultaneously are humbled to tears and marvel and praise. And we, along with Peter, say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's him. It's his doing. 
And it's marvelous in our eyes. And it doesn't even end there in this passage. The passage continues, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. When we start understanding this, we have hope in God. So God's mercy in new birth, our new life in Christ, produces something. It produces hope. And this is not a dead hope or apathetic hope or a dry hope. No, it's a living hope. It's not a hope with uncertainty. Oh, I hope I get that promotion. Oh, I hope I get that scholarship. Oh, I hope I get a good tax return this year. It's not that kind of hope. It's a living, active, vibrant hope in Jesus Christ because he has shown mercy. We often say in Jesus' life, we have life. Look at how verse 3 continues. According to the great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has given new life. So all who have the mercy of Jesus on their life, all who have their sin paid for on the cross, all who had the wrath of God absorbed by Jesus are raised with Christ. So they have a hope with Christ. Do you get the irony here? Risen Hope Church. This is our name. We have a risen hope in Christ. Friends, that was God's work in the past for you. His plan of your redemption. His love generously poured out. But that does not stay in our past. Oh, the past actions are glorious. The past mercy is glorious. That past plan of God gives present hope. The past payment for sin gives present praise. And isn't that what homesick believers need? Isn't that the encouragement as we plod on? And some days we just don't feel like plodding. Like we barely feel like breathing. We're like struggling and, and we just need encouragement. We need a vision of what God has done. That's what Peter does here. Christ has done something for you in the plotting. He has done something for you that you can gaze at and see mercy. You've been chosen for this path, friends. He has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Friends, some of us, may even begin to realize that homesickness goes much deeper than just missing friends or parents or grandma, our childhood bedroom or the Tennessee mountains. No, we realize that our hearts are searching for something that they have not found. There's a void, an emptiness here. And this talk of hope sounds like the thrill of a peaceful morning. Friends, if you don't know Christ as your Savior and King, this passage shows you the root and identity of the hope. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus for your sins that you might know God as Father. In the parable of the what's called the prodigal son oftentimes, better called the lost sons or the two lost sons, the Father runs to the wayward child. 
The father goes to the older brother. The father's love is what you need to know. And it is a hopeful love because it is done in Christ. That's a longing that we have that's only fulfilled in Christ. David Helm says this, the idea of finding the cure for your spiritual homesick soul in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead may be an entirely new thought for you. You have felt the homesickness of soul that accompanies every person. You sense that you, you were born for a purpose but are not quite sure you will discover it in this world. Peter would urge you to consider Jesus and his resurrection. Friends, consider Jesus and his resurrection. We urge you to that. Would you consider that? And if you have not come to know Christ as your Savior, what is keeping you from turning from your sins, repenting and turning to trusting Jesus as your Savior? Friends, we would love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. This is not an earned relationship. This is not clean yourself up first and then come to Jesus. This is come with your mess because he already knows it. And he paid for our sins on the cross. He didn't pay for perfect people on the cross. He paid for sinners. While we were sinners, someone read a little while ago, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But for the believer, the past work of redemption has a culmination. Point number two, God's plan for our future. God's plan for our future. Let's get some runway as we reread verse three and then marvel the truths in verse four. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter wants these battered, beaten, and weary Christians to know a glorious future awaits. There is an inheritance, a future with King Jesus for every follower of Jesus. There's a day when the pilgrimage will end. You will cross the river. You will enter the gates. There's a day when we will see him face to face, living in the new heavens and the new earth. No more sin, no more tears, no more pain, reward for every small act of faith with larger and larger capacities to love and worship Jesus and cherish him, full in body, full in spirit, no more homesickness, God and man together again. That's our inheritance. And Peter says that inheritance is kept. It is kept for you. It is in the grip of God he will not let that promise fall. In fact, Peter wants us to know a lot about the inheritance. It is an imperishable future. It is an undefiled future. It is an unfading future. Let's look at those three kind of words to describe the inheritance. First is imperishable. Wayne Grudem says it is not able to decay. David Helm says it's not able to be destroyed. Romans 8.21 says that creation is in bondage to decay right now. In fact, we know decay very well, don't we? You who woke up with migraines or backaches or struggles this morning, 
you go to the mirror and you're like, wow, that looks different than I thought. You know what I'm talking about. Don't lie. Bodies getting old, clothes wearing out, food rots. Oh, I didn't know that was in the back of the refrigerator. I would have really enjoyed eating that, but I didn't see it. So a week later, it's a science experiment. Paul says our outer nature is wasting away. But this future, this future inheritance kept in heaven for us, it is imperishable. It will not rot. It will never be destroyed. It is literally eternal life. It's always life. It's imperishable. The next description of the inheritance, it's undefiled. It's not polluted. It's not corrupted by sin. It's a future where we will have no sin against God. Because our sin has been fully paid by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we'll be fully glorified. We'll no longer even have the pollution of sin. No more hiding from God. No more shame. No more guilt. No more condemnation. Friends, even for believers right now on this side of eternity, we know our sins are paid for by Christ, but we often are gripped by condemnation or shame. We often feel like Lady Macbeth scrubbing our hands, trying to cleanse ourselves. We're so aware of living in a defiled world with our polluted hearts. But friends, let me remind you of the mercy extended, the grace given. You are born again to a living hope in verse 3. Don't forget that. Hold on to that. And as we remember the grace of life, we look forward. We look forward to the sunrise of an undefiled future. Perfect relationship with our creator. Imagine basking in the warmth of the full knowledge of God. Complete wholeness. No longer struggling. No longer sinning. No longer suffering. It's just hard to even imagine that. Like, even as you sit there, it's like, Lord, help me, because that's hard to imagine. Let's note the perfect relationship with God. It doesn't just end with God. We will have perfect relationship with one another. All who are in eternity with Jesus will have wholeness in our relationships, in our friendships with one another. So no unkind words, no cracked friendships, no questioning relationships, no angry insults, no fear of man, none of that. What we live in day in, day out, none of that will be there. David Helm ponders this. I love this quote. He says, imagine a world where every woman sleeps without fear. Every man is honorable and every child is cherished. Imagine. Imagine where this is going of an undefiled eternity. Shalom. Peace. Perfect peace with Christ. Third description of the inheritance is unfading. Unfading, our future inheritance does not weaken like rusted metal or wither like a dying plant or decrease like a bad investment. This inheritance is always at its top quality. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her 
But this is like one of my favorite kids' books is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you haven't got that for your kid, it's a go-getter. Go get that one. That's a, that's a wonderful one. She talks about um, God's love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I remember reading this to my little girls. So this was like Emily and Sarah Evelyn. And we're reading this. And every time, like she says this over and over, almost like every chapter. So you get the, that cadence of this book. And you just start thinking over and over. And then the kids start repeating. They finish the sentence. You don't even have to about God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And you got this aspect in First Peter here that there's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever inheritance. Inheritance kept in heaven for you. Friends, do you long for that future? Creation groans for this. Do you groan for this? Or are we just kind of comfortable and we're just doing our best to be as comfortable and have bubble wrap around our lives as possible, have all the retirement plans fully funded, all the safety and security, all the insurance, all everything's, so not, everything's secure so nothing can touch us. We build our treasure here on earth. Or do we store our treasure in heaven? You see, this passage is, is such comfort for those who are truly living in exile, living fully for Christ, walking through difficulty of, of living loyal to King Jesus when life is hard. But this passage also confronts us if our hope for inheritance is in this world. If we're just living for dad's inheritance or grandpa's inheritance or some sort of life insurance plan or whatever, and that's our hope. Our hope is set on that. Friends, that's not hope. That's not living hope. That's death. That's a dying hope. Friends, let us have hope in Jesus. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have plans for our finances. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that is not our hope. That is not our hope. Jeff Bezos could be your dad. His inheritance pales in comparison to this inheritance. So the text addresses the past. God caused us to be born again and the future, our inheritance. But it also gives us some clear encouragement about our present moment. And it is what a struggling, exiled people need to know. They need to know God's power in the present. Third point, God's power in the present. Verse four said that the inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Then verse five says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Your present reality, Christian, is that God's power is guarding you. Let me say that again. Your present reality, Christian, is that God's power is guarding you. Catherine read this passage that I already had in my sermon notes. So I was like, she, she came up to share it with me. And I was like, I'm actually using that in my sermon today. That's pretty cool. Let's read it early. Now we'll read it again. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, get this, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard. That's the same term in both the first Peter passage and this passage in Philippians 4. Will guard. This is a military term. It's speaking of a muscle-bulging warrior guarding your heart. Okay, it's not really talking about a muscle-bulging warrior, but I just imagine that. Like the guarding of this muscle-bulging warrior guarding your heart in Christ Jesus. So we pray in anxious moments, knowing God's going to guard my heart He's calling me to pray when I'm anxious and I need that guard because my heart is weary or my heart is tired or my heart is fearful. God's peace will guard you. 1 Peter 1.5 says that God flexes his muscles and guards you now by giving you faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11 This is closely tied to the living hope that we learned about earlier of the resurrected Christ. And it is a spirit-infused faith, a spirit-empowered trust, a spirit-enlived confidence that God is at work. Do you believe God is at work in your life? Friends, that's what weary saints need. That's what... Our brother Terry has needed this last month as he's been grieving Jan. That's what Faith Kelly needs as she's watching her cousin's health struggle. That's the faith that every single mom in here needs. That's the faith that every older couple, every teenage student, every military officer, every unemployed man or woman. We need the assurance of things hoped for. We need the conviction of things not seen Guard my heart, God, through faith. But there's an end and an object of this faith. There's something this faith gets done. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power guards us through faith for salvation. This term salvation is not just talking about justification. It's speaking of the broad understanding of salvation, that we were saved, justification, we are being saved, sanctification, and we will be saved, glorification. We are saved in all these ways. And that will be revealed in the last time who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. And it's going to be ready to be revealed. There's a salvation that's revealed. We are saved, but there's a being saved and will be saved. It's it's coming. It's like a wave coming. It will knock you over in a good way. For salvation revealed in the last time. Friends, that's a living hope. Now let's get really practical. Why would Peter's audience need to be assured of this? Wayne Grudem says this, Peter's readers may have been anxious about whether they would have strength to remain faithful to Christ if persecution or suffering became more intense. 
He assures them that they are people who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever started that little mind game? This isn't always helpful, but you start going down the road like, well, could I handle that? I see that family or that person struggling with that. And you're like, well, would I be able to handle that if I were going through that? Would I be able to have that faith if I did that? Do I see the, you know, people on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and persecution in another country? And you're like, well, could I handle that? And your brain just goes, Rrr. and sometimes you're nuked for the day. You're just like, man, I'm struggling. I don't think I would have that faith. Well, no, you don't have that mercy right now and that grace right now because you're not going through that right now, right? So there's an ever-present help of God's grace. He doesn't give you grace in the mind games that you're actually not living in. He gives you grace to stop the mind games, rebuke Satan if it's demonic stuff going on, But friends, here's what happens. He has power to guard you through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The passage gives you a handle here. If you have fear or uncertainty about future suffering, this passage gives you a handle. It gives you something to grip onto. For those in Christ, God guards you for your salvation. He's guarding you by causing you to be born again. He's guarding you by giving you a living hope. He's guarding you by giving you a future inheritance. And he's guarding you in present struggles. That will grow you. Does that mean he's eliminating the struggles? That's where we're gonna go next week as the passage continues. The struggles continue and they get stuff done in our lives. They refine us. And that term guarded can be translated kept safe or carefully watched. And in the, in the original language, it's a continuous action. You are continually guarded by the power of God. There's not a moment in your life, Christian, where you're not guarded. You're continually guarded for your salvation. Grudem again says this, God's power continually energizes and sustains our faith. Tom Schreiner says, those who are suffering persecution in Asia Minor are not dashed to the ground by their troubles. They look to the future with the sure confidence that inestimable blessing await them. They look with confidence that God's at work. Friends, in the midst of our suffering, do we look with confidence knowing that God's at work, knowing sure that God's at work. Friends, is that how we view our current exile moment? Is this how we view our present homesickness? Is this how we view our present suffering? Look at the passage with me again as we, we've just walked through the entire passages to get the weight and glory of what Peter is telling us here. Start in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's golden. Friends, many of us are going through trials and suffering, just longing to be home with Jesus. In a second, we're just going to gather and pray together. Pray 
as church family around each other. And here's what I wanna encourage you as we are gonna stand and gather in groups and pray is what part of this passage do you need prayed for you? Like what section, it might be the whole thing, just pray the whole thing, but that's fine. But like, if you're like, man, I'm really, this is the part. I'm, I'm anxious, I need the guarding part. Or man, I, I feel the defilement of my soul. So that undefiled inheritance, man, that, I really need prayer there. Whatever section of this, just share it with your group. And let's just pray for one another. Pray this passage over one another.